that your word would be spoken and not my word. I pray that we would be focused on you and that we would feel the weight of these words and and that I and and I pray that the Holy Spirit would just speak to us. I ask, please speak to us and let us know the full meaning of these things and not not just the meaning but the implications of them. Don't let us be unchanged by these words that we're going to hear, these words that I'm hopefully going to say from your word and I I pray that the things that we're going to talk about today, the pro- your promises would, would lead us to live lives that would be wholly different from, from everybody else in the world and, and from the way that we used to live so much that the people around us would notice and they would want to ask questions and they would want to see why it is we live differently and and I pray that 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 would that would be attractive that we would that we would show it that we would show your promises as being infinitely valuable and infinitely trustworthy and that people would see that in us and that they'd want to latch on to those same promises not because of us, but because of, of, of you, because of who you are. I pray that you would be with us in this time and be with this church. Grow this church, God. And in Jesus' name, amen. We're in Hebrews 6. If you don't already have a Bible, we have some extras back there, which you can take for this morning. And if you need to take it with you, you can take it with you. We bought them for you. So it's going to be page 650 on those Bibles, but if you've got your own Bible, then turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Before I get into that, though, we're going to do a little lead-in. So, give me a second. At the house where I currently live, there is a covered porch facing the backyard. Um, several of you guys have been on that porch. If you look out from the porch toward the yard, then you'll see that the lawn goes on for several yards, but then it abruptly stops. And it, it runs against this overgrown area of land, which has been unkept for several years, many years. Uh, however, it hasn't always been that way. The house was purchased by my mother-in-law in in like 98, 99, about 15 years ago. And yesterday, uh, my wife Carla was doing some cleaning around the house um, because we've been staying in this house with her. And she she stumbled upon an old picture of her and her mother standing in the backyard of the home. And in the background, you can see this large kind of sloped hillside that goes off into the distance. And, and she showed this picture to me, and I didn't recognize the location of where that picture was taken um, until she told me that's in the backyard. And, and I thought, wow, that looks totally different. Apparently, 
when Carla's mom purchased the house, the builder of the house and the owner of that land assured her that he was going to maintain the lamb, the land, i.e. mow it, trim it, make sure it's taken care of so that it wouldn't become this overgrown wilderness. Um, but that didn't happen. Since then, the builder's been convicted in court for dishonest and poor business practices, and last I heard, he was in jail. Um, We've learned inside the house from all the stuff that he's just kind of cut corners on and outside the house looking at the land that he promised to take care of and under the house where he didn't build all these good supports that the guy really could not be trusted. He was not a trustworthy individual. So now all that remains of those promises that he made are the memories of people who look out and they see in the backyard this overgrown wilderness. But, but the word that he, he gave to her obviously was not worth anything. And, and the work that he put into that house was, was worth a little bit, but it needed a lot of help. Uh, he, he was not what I would say a man of his word, and I hear about this all the time. I think that we have all, to some extent, been given false promises in life, and some of us have suffered a whole lot worse than just a messy-looking yard. That's honestly kind of a small one, but I, it's just like this visual reminder of this, this promise that was unkept. But some of us have been, I don't know, victims of, of divorce, where even though the marriage was built on a covenant between two spouses who promised to uphold that covenant until death, all that's left now is just this remnant of what, what once was a promise that was given. Other of us, others of us have been promised by parents, maybe family, friends, that those people would always be there for us. But now we're just kind of left to wonder what they meant when they said, well, they'll always be there because obviously it didn't come to fruition. Some of us have decided not to trust people when they make promises because we've learned through experience that people can't really be trusted. Um, maybe you've even decided that it's best to not make promises yourself because there's really not any value in a person's promise. No matter who you are or where you've come from or how much you've suffered because of broken promises, what we want to talk about today is that there are some promises that you can stake your life on. Today, as we study Hebrews, we're going to see why we can have full assurance in the promises offered in the person of Christ. So turn, if you haven't already, Hebrews 6. We're going to start in, I think I'll go back a little bit, um, because what we're talking about today ties closely in to what we have been talking about recently. So I'm going to start in verse 11, and then I'm going to go through the end of the chapter. Hebrews 6, verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. 
For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So, he, this, is a, this is a direct continuation from what we've been talking about. We've been going through chapter 6 the last couple weeks, where the, the author of Hebrews has kind of gone on a little tangent, because he was, he was elaborating on how Jesus was our high priest, and he's the high priest of the new covenant, and he was just starting to get into all the details when he stopped and said, this would be a whole lot easier to explain if you guys weren't so ignorant. It was kind of, that, that's not exactly word for word what he said, but he, he really kind of, he took it right to them and said, you guys are dull of hearing, you ought to be teachers, but you don't understand these things, you're babies. You're not mature. You haven't allowed these things to mature inside of you. And because of that, I'm having to explain all these little details and, and, and try to convince you that these things are worth paying attention to when you should have matured with them already. So, so chapter 6, that's pretty much all that chapter 6 is. It's just kind of this, this it's kind of a tangent where he's going to get back to, okay, back to what I was talking about, the high priest in chapter 7. He does a really good job getting back there too um, at the end of 6. But he's told them we need to mature together. We can't sit behind and, and allow ourselves to just not grow. We as the church, and we as the church, need to take these things and grow together with them. We don't need to leave each other behind. Uh, last week we talked about um, assurance of salvation, and I feel like this, this is a kind of a continuation of that thought. That... He's trying to build our faith in the promises of God so that we know without a doubt that we have inherited these promises. So I think that verse 11 and 12 kind of give us a, kind of some guidance here where it says, We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness. To have the full assurance of hope until the end. He wants us to have assurance so that we may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So he's already told us, you need to be disciplined. You need to work at this. Um, and, and he's getting ready to, to kind of build that case. But the whole point, the whole point of assurance is so that we may not be sluggish, but imitators of those. So already in Hebrews, he's kind of focused on people not to imitate. Earlier in uh, chapter 3 and 4, Tanner preached through those verses and we talked about the Israelites when they got out of Egypt and, and their overall kind of faithlessness in a lot of areas. 
And, and he's already told us, don't, don't be like them. But now he's turning it around and saying, but be like this. So what, he, what we need to know when we look at this is that the men of the Bible who lose faith in the promises of God are the men who get cut off from those promises. And that's what he keeps saying over and over. Don't fall away, don't fall away. Because if you lose faith in those promises, then you're not going to inherit those promises. Um, the people of Israel had been led out of Egypt, just quick recap, by God himself who demonstrated his power to them over everything by sending plagues to the Egyptians. He protected them with a massive pillar of, of fire and cloud, he cut a sea in two, and he descended onto a mountaintop in thunder and, and fire, and, and he burnt the whole mountaintop, and they couldn't even stand to get next to it. Yet somehow, after all of that, the Israelites seemed to forget all about those things in a relatively short amount of time. They, they forget about about who he is and what he's saying that he's going to do for them. How does that happen? How, how does, like, put yourself in those shoes. How, how do you go from maybe just a couple months ago seeing all of those things to now not having any faith in them to the point that you're going to make idols, you're going to complain over the fact that God has provided you with this, this salvation, you're going to just... You, they, they use the words, we loathe your provision, which to me is just shocking. We loathe this food that you are giving us every day. How do you, how do you, how do you go so quickly into that kind of territory? I think that unbelief starts when, when we begin to think about us or our circumstances more than God. And it's not that hard to do for us. For them, I think that they, they had received all this word from him and they had seen all these promises, they had seen all these miracles and all this, this amazing stuff. And you would think, wow, can you not focus on, on that? But, but they instead started thinking thoughts like, I'm hungry. I'm tired. I am, I'm tired of this. They, they started thinking, if God were really taking care of me, then this wouldn't be my 40th time eating manna in a row. If, if God were really taking care of me, then he wouldn't be leading me through this desert alongside a bunch of hard-to-get-along-with idiots. If God really wanted to bless me, bless me, he wouldn't do it by sending me to an impossible fight against a nation full of giants. God heard all that disbelief that they had, and he made a new promise to them. He said that you're going to die in this desert because you haven't put your faith in what I'm telling you, or who I am, despite I've given you every bit of evidence to support that you ought to, you have instead focused on how you hate eating the food that I'm giving you. You hate the de desert that I'm, I'm pulling you through into this land of plenty, and you hate the fact that I'm telling you you're going to have to fight for it. 
you, you're just totally focused on yourself, and so you're not going to inherit the land, these, this generation of people. You're going to die out, and your kids are going to have it. And I think, that, I think that that, even though it's extreme and we think, wow, that's not us at all, I think it's pretty easy to go and go back to that idea where we're thinking more about ourselves than about God. It's pretty easy to do. I feel like we do this on a daily basis. So don't try to separate yourselves too much from those people because it starts with little things. After being told in Hebrews... Don't be like that. Don't be like the faithless people of Israel. We're now being told, do be like Abraham, specifically in this instance. We're going to hear a lot more about others later on in Hebrews, but in this space of verses, he's saying, do be like Abraham, who through faith and patience inherited the promises of God. We need to imitate the faithful the examples of those who were faithful. So it speaks of Abraham. And it says in verse 15, Abraham having patiently waited obtained the promise. So God gave him a promise and and he obeyed it. And the interesting thing about his faith is that he wasn't shown plagues He wasn't led out of a nation in a really miraculous way. He he didn't see the amazing things that the Israelites saw. All he had was God coming up and giving him a promise and saying, now if you believe this, then, then follow my word and I will keep this promise to you. He didn't have the the amazing things that they had, and yet he was faithful with those things. So we're being told, imitate his life, imitate his faithfulness. And there are plenty of people that we could probably point out for their faithfulness in the Bible, but I think that Abraham is definitely kind of a unique case um, because he was given a promise. Does it, do we remember what the promise was given? You can, you can answer out loud if you want to. What was the original promise that Abraham was given? You know this. I was, gonna, I was about to limit the elders from being able to answer. Okay, a son, but not just a son. Let's go further. Non-elder responses. Children as numerous as the sands. Uh, as many as the stars. What is that? Nations. He's going to have a whole, a whole nation that comes from his line of people, even though they were infertile and old. 75 years old when that promise was given. Something else very important. Not only is he going to have this nation full of people that are going to come from his line, what else? Very important for us. The part that you probably need to focus on. All the families of the earth will be blessed through your family. That one we ought to know because that means us. Um... That, that original promise was given in Genesis 12. We're not going to go back and read the whole thing. But that was given in Genesis 12. And, and he obeyed it. God said, come out of this land. I'm going to give you a new land. We didn't, I don't know if anybody said land. I'm going to give you a new land. I'm going to give you a son. 
You're going to have a nation of people that come from that son and all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. But you have to leave and you have to follow me. We're going to go this way. So he said, okay, let's go. And did it happen the next day when he arrived out of the land of Ur? Does anybody know how long he had to wait before he got a son? Yeah, 25 years. Who in here is over 25 years old? Who in here has waited 25 years for anything? I feel like I have a hard time sometimes remembering something that happened last week. And, and I compare that with this and I think, wow, tw- that's a long, long, long time. And there were a couple stops along the way where God shows up and, or the angel of the Lord shows up. And, and Abraham says, so when is this going to happen? And he says, don't worry about it. It's going to happen. You can bank on it. Just be patient. Put your faith in me. Let me show you something. Let's go out here and look at the stars. So he has these conversations with him, these reminders that, yeah, I'm still good for it. You just need to be patient. And he has to be patient for 25 years. And after that 25 years, he finally has the son after stumbling a couple times. He wasn't perfect in his faith, but, but he did maintain it. They have the son, name him Isaac. And what happens after they have the son? God says, you know how you offer sacrifices? He didn't This is not word for word. This is kind of a paraphrase. You know how you offer sacrifices, Abraham? Yeah, we offer sacrifices. Well, I'm going to need you to sacrifice your son. How ridiculous does that sound? You just waited 25 years for this to happen. You're going to have all these nations. How are you going to have a nation... If, if God has specifically said that he's going to come through this son, one of your own heirs. So he says, give it all up. And he listens. So he takes him up onto this mountaintop and he's going to sacrifice him. And then God stops him in the, midst of the, in the middle of the process and says, don't do it. I know that you love me, that you are faithful. Don't sacrifice your son. It says in chapter 22, this is where he actually gives the promise again. Genesis 22, sorry. Verse 15 through 18. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely, Bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So we're told, imitate this kind of faith in Hebrews. And that seems, I think for many of us, that would be kind of a radical idea because just looking around the room, I don't, I don't think any of us have been, have, have been forced to wait for something for 25 years. Probably the best we've got is this promise of salvation. And that's what he's talking about. That's what he's trying to make this comparison to. He's saying, listen, you have a promise just like Abraham had a promise. You have a promise of salvation. 
which you get because God gave to Abraham. And now that, that blessing that was promised to Abraham is now ours in that we've been given salvation in Christ. And he's saying, imitate Abraham's faithfulness and receive those promises by striving to live up to them. And he gives us a reason for why we ought to have faith in these sort of things. Go back to verse 13 in Hebrews 6. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. It's custom for people to give an oath when they really mean something, which it's kind of sad that we even have to do that, right? Because the Bible says you ought to just let your yes be your yes and your no be your no and let that be the end of it. So when people say, I'm going to do this, that ought to mean you're going to do that. But it was, it was typical at the time, and it still is typical, for people to, to guarantee their word with an oath. And I feel like it, it seems to mean less these days to us in our culture because we don't value promises. We don't, we don't keep our word. It just That kind of seems like the flavor of our culture. Like we Probably the closest thing that we see most often is that people put their hand on a Bible, right? Like when they go to be a witness in a court case or, or when the president gets inaugurated, oftentimes they'll put their hand on the Bible or sometimes, I don't know if a, if a president has done it, but in other, in other ceremonies, when people are inaugurated into offices, they'll put their hand on something else, something else that's higher than them to say that I'm making this promise not just based on me, but on some sort of higher authority. And for us, that's a pretty normal thing to do. But back then, God said, I promise you. And since Abraham might have been expecting an oath the way that people kind of exchange oaths when they make promises to one another back then, God had nobody greater to promise by. He had no greater authority. He was the authority. So he said, listen, I promise that I will do this based on my own name. Which is still significant because God is saying that in, in a sense, he's staking his reputation on this promise. And that is pretty significant. Because he's saying, I give you my word as God, as one who does not lie, and as one who is an absolute authority, that I am going to do this for you. Which is very significant. It's, it's the surest kind of promise that we can have. And it, it, it explains the same thing in verse 16. People swear by something greater than themselves. In all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. In other words, whatever word you stuck to, whatever oath you gave is what you have to hold to. And it's saying the same thing about God's promises. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, that's us now. That's not just Abraham, but that's us. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. 
So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So he guaranteed it by two things, his word and then this, this oath that he actually went as, set aside and said, I promise you, surely I will do this. And, and it says in multiple places in the Bible that God does not change. He doesn't change his mind the way we change our mind. One that, all, that I always just remember is Numbers 23, which is an odd little section, um, but we're not, we don't have to read the whole thing. Numbers 23, verse, I believe it's 18, 19. You can write this one down, memorize it. God is not a man, or God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? In another place, Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. He talks about the sureness of the word of God. Again, Isaiah 55, verse 10 and 11. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire... Oh, that is the wrong chapter right there. I was thinking, this is not right. <laughs> Start over. I looked at the wrong chapter. Chapter 55. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word stands. And you think about when, when, this, when this promise was given to Abraham. Do you know approximately how long ago this was? So like close to 5,000 years. That, that it's been since this promise was given to Abraham. And now the author of Hebrews, and even, though, even the author of Hebrews is, is a bit of time from us, but he's saying to them, when it was only about 3,000 years, this promise that was given to Abraham, you can count on because God gave it. And because of the person that he is, because of the God that he is, because he doesn't lie, because he's given us this and his oath, we can count on this for us. We are the heirs of that promise. And he wants us, to, or he wants to show us convincingly that he is unchangeable, that he guarantees that these promises are for us. So, so for us, what, what, what kind of promises are those when we talk about the promises of God? What do we, kind of, what do we rest in? Uh, if we call ourselves Christians, then what, what promises are we really holding on to? I think Romans 8 is, a, is one chapter that just does a really good job at laying it, all of that out. And you could go and you could read all of Romans 8 if you want to. Um, 
I could just list off a couple things, though, from Romans 8. Verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we understand that there was, that God has a law. He is holy and he is just. So he will punish the unlawful. But, we're, but one of the promises that we receive here is that we are not going to get condemned for our, for our rebellion because Christ Jesus has, has purchased righteousness, essentially. He, he, has, he has given us righteousness, and now there's no condemnation for us. And that's a promise that we, we stake our lives on. But that's just one. There are more inside of this chapter. Verse 11 If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So not only are we going to be given righteousness, we're not not just going to be cleared of our debt, we're also going to be given life, new life, a physical life. The same way that Christ died and came back, we are going to die and then come back. So that's another promise. That he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is also going to give life to us. Another one later in the chapter. um, Verses 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So we've been adopted. We haven't just been cleared our debt. We're not just going to be given life again. We've been adopted by God as fellow heirs with Christ, which is mind-blowing. That'd be a sermon by itself. Um, Multiple sermons. But we're heirs with Christ. Heirs with the Son of God, who the author of Hebrews is, is lifting up. We're heirs with that Son of God. Brothers with Him. One other one that I'll mention. Um... Verses 37 through 39. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Now in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, nothing can separate us from what has been given to us. So you've got these promises. And these are, are things that we are, again, staking our life on. Going back to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. Talking about these promises. He says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So these, these promises, we are not, we're not Abraham's descendants. So technically, we weren't, given, we weren't allowed to have these promises until Christ came and bought them for us. So without Christ, there would be no promise for us. And without Christ, there would be no guarantee. There would be no promise at all. So, Christ purchases these things for us. And the man, Christ, who, who he is lifting up, lifting up through all of Hebrews as the Son of God, he is saying this person has purchased these things for us. So you can know, absolutely, without a doubt, 
that you can put your hope in these things. This isn't the promise of a family member or a friend or somebody or a politician or somebody down here that you know right away that you might not be able to trust them. This is the promise of, of God, the promises of God. And, and you can have faith in it because he, he has set his reputation on these things. He said, I am God, I don't change my mind, and I am telling you that I am going to, uh, to take care of these things. So, this ought to do something to us, right? And that's what he's hoping is going to happen. Back to verse 11 and 12. He desires that we have this full assurance of hope so that we may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. He keeps saying over and over and over in Hebrews, don't fall away. Pay attention to Christ. Hold fast to this confession. Draw toward Christ, toward the throne of God with confidence. Because you know that these things aren't, aren't based on you. They're based on God's promises given to you and on Christ's work that He accomplished by coming and dying, rising again, suffering on our behalf, and, and saying, if you would just put your faith in me, you get all these promises. So that ought to, for those of us who have trust issues, because people have abused our trust, that ought to be comforting. Very, very comforting. And it ought to be steel in your spine. Something that actually causes you to live differently. It ought to give you faith because you know that these things aren't, they aren't temporary. They've already lasted 5,000 years. What's a couple more? And they're established on infinite, eternal things. So do we, do we live, do we live like we believe these promises? Do, do you have the assurance of these promises? Don't just listen to the word of God because some pastor tells you to. Don't just listen to the word of God because I'm telling you to or because one of your friends tells you to. You need to listen to it because it is the word of God. Don't interpret it as this guy is telling me these things, so I guess I'll believe him. Don't stake your faith in me or anybody else that's in this room, but put your faith in the fact that these are the words of God. Nothing can come against them or challenge them. It stands forever because he who established it is all-powerful, all-knowing, and unchanging. And the promise that that God made to Abraham, again, all those years ago, is being fulfilled right here in this church. And the promise of salvation, which, which is extended to all of us, is built upon the same foundation, Christ, so that nothing can tear it down. So we need to have faith in these things. And if we don't, then we ought to examine ourselves. That's what he's saying. I love the way that he 
just seems to effortlessly get back to where he was. Anybody else catch that? This is just kind of a footnote to this whole thing. But right there, 19 and 20. He had, what was the last thing he said before he got off on this tangent? It was back in uh, verse 10 of chapter 5. He's talking about Christ being a high priest, being designated by God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Then he goes on and talks about all these other things relating to salvation and God's promises and, and us not being mature and all these things. But then right at the end of chapter 6, he says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Mm, He is really good. I I would aspire to to be able to go off on a tangent and then just cleanly just bring it back in because the next chapter is all about Melchizedek. So we're going to learn more about Christ as high priest. But it was important for us to spend these last few weeks knowing that these things are sure. And that not only are they sure, they ought to apply to us and they ought to mature us. And we as a church ought to put our lives in these things. And, and I know that all of us have a lot of work to do with this. I know that I have a lot of work to do to, to live up to these things, to, to live like these promises are real. But I will say that I think all your elders do have absolute faith. And a lot of the people that are in this church have absolute faith that these promises are absolutely true. And the reason that we came down here is because we believe that these things are true. And and we're not down here putting in this work and, 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 and living downtown for nothing. We're doing it because... Because God's word says that there's, there's a promise to, to us and to these people that are around us if they would have faith in it. So what we want to do is we want to take these promises, allow them to shape us, and then share them with other people. These, these things ought to so move us that we give them to other people. Because every other promise, really every other promise that's in the world is ultimately unfulfilling. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to come here and and to, to, to come close to you. That's something that we, we have no right to do on our own merit. But because of what you've done through Christ, we, we can come here and we can say that we're, we're Christ's brothers. We're heirs with him because, because of what he has done and because of the promises that God has given us. It's not, it's not us at all. It's all God. And... And, and therefore, we, we come to you with confidence because we know that it's, it's not because of our work that we do this, but it's, it's yours, your work that we come. And so I pray that we would do that, that we would put our faith in these promises and that we would, we would seek to live like, 
like the faithful who have provided us with an example, that we would imitate that faithfulness and that we would allow that faithfulness to, to shape our lives and that we would take that, those promises, to others and, and that we would share them and, we, and with full confidence that these things are, are not our word, but God's word. And they're unshakable. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move us. Cause us to respond, not just for the next few minutes, but with a lifetime of faithfulness that is going to be required for us to endure and for us to inherit these promises. I pray that you would do this because we can't do it. We didn't establish the promise. We didn't earn it for ourselves and we can't keep it for ourselves. It's all you. So I pray that you would do this in my heart and in my family's hearts and in the hearts of this family that you have made in this church. And in Jesus' name, amen. So we have time to respond. Most of us are used to this. But if you need to pray, sit and pray. If you want to talk to somebody, uh, I guess I'll be in the back, but Dale's also back there. Uh, if, you, if you need somebody to pray with you, let us know. Uh, if you just want to sit and sing, and praise God for this assurance and sing. We're going to have communion. If you want to remind yourself, remember that Christ is the only one who purchased these things for you, take communion. And if you want to give to the church, give to this work, knowing that God has ensured his promises by his own word. We want to, we want to participate in this work. We want to give. Then give. Not because I told you to, but because it's in, it's in God's word. It's his promise. So let's respond.